WRFI Community Radio News is made possible by listeners like you. Help us tell important stories about your community. Head to wrfi.org slash donate. Community Radio News for Wednesday, January 20th, 2021. I'm Mikhail Savage. And I'm Peter Champelli. After the headline news, local reporter Gabe Petrazio speaks with us about covering the inauguration of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Then you'll hear from educator Lori Rubin, who speaks about the benefits of observing the natural world. But first, here's the weather forecast courtesy of the National Weather Service. Tonight, a slight chance of snow showers with lows getting into the upper teens. Tomorrow, chance of snow with little or no accumulation expected. Otherwise, tomorrow will be mostly cloudy with highs in the mid-30s. Tomorrow night, chance of snow with lows in the upper 20s. And looking to Friday, possible snow showers again with highs in the mid-30s. And now here's tonight's news for Ithaca and In local news, the Tompkins County Health Department is reporting a number of potential public exposures to COVID-19 on two cat routes 40, 43, and 53. These various exposures were among a rider and occurred January 15th to the 18th. Listeners can review the specific days and times of of these COVID exposures on TCAT routes 40, 43, and 53 on our website, wrfi.org slash coronavirus or at the webpage tompkinscountyny.gov slash health. That's tompkinscountyny.gov slash health under public exposures. The health department recommends anyone who may have been exposed to the virus to monitor their health for any COVID-19 symptoms. Now we'll take a look at the local COVID-19 caseload. The number of hospitalizations in Tompkins due to complications from the virus are 18 as of yesterday. That's according to the Tompkins County Health Department. And as of now, there are 273 active cases of the virus. Yesterday, there were an additional 51 positive cases, and 39 people were released from quarantine. Over in Schuyler County today, there were seven new cases of COVID-19 reported. 54 active cases remain, according to their health department. Ten people are hospitalized due to the virus. Longtime Tompkins County Legislator Michael Lane will be running for re-election this year. Lane, a Democrat, represents District 14, including the eastern part of the town of Dryden. The Ithaca Times reports that if re-elected, Lane's first priority for the county is to help residents recover from the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. He also focused on education as being essential to Tompkins County's economy and said that the present recession has hit the area hard. Lane first joined the legislature in 1994 and continued until 2005. He took a brief hiatus until 2009 and then was re-elected in 2013 and 2017. Lane also has served as mayor of the village of Dryden, and he's currently an attorney in private practice in Dryden. 
The New York Working Families Party is endorsing six candidates running for the Tompkins County Legislature, the Ithaca Times reports. Five of the candidates, Shauna Black, Amanda Champion, Deborah Dawson, Daniel Klein, and Ann Corman, are incumbent legislators running for re-election. One candidate, Victoria Piller of the 2nd District, is running for the seat previously held by Anna Kellis. Last year, Anna Ke- Last year, Kellis was elected to New York's 125th Assembly District seat. Pillar will be running in a special election held on March 23rd. The remaining candidates will run in local elections held on Tuesday, November 2nd, 2021. For more information about the special election and the November election, visit TompkinsCountyNY.gov slash BOE. That's TompkinsCountyNY.gov slash BOE. In New York State news, COVID infections and deaths from the virus have spiked in New York prisons, according to the Ithaca Journal. Positive cases among the incarcerated jumped from 1,800 to 3,100 in December and continued to climb to roughly 4,000 by mid-January. Of the 29 COVID-related inmate deaths, 11 have occurred since the beginning of December. New York State's prison systems houses roughly 38,000 inmates. While the general New York population has a 6.5% positivity rate, the rate for New York prisons currently stands at 16.5%. More than half of New York's prison systems are reporting outbreaks of coronavirus, with the highest positivity rates ranging between 51% to 45%. Incarcerated individuals are speaking out about these conditions that make the facilities a petri dish for infection, including a lack of personal protective gear, lack of social distancing, proper education about the virus, and some correctional officers showing disregard for mask wearing. State officials in the Department of, Direct, Department of Corrections and Community Supervi- Supervisions, or DOCS, defend their p- response by pointing out the actions they've taken, including shutting down visitation, suspending the intake of individuals from county jails, and slowing down movement within the system. However, anecdotal stories from inmates, along with data provided by docs, shows that the response has been inadequate. Advocates are calling for an increase in early release programs, mass COVID testing, and vaccinating the incarcerated. More than 3,300 New York State correctional officers have tested positive for the coronavirus, and at least six have died. Correctional officers are now eligible for the vaccine. For the first time, Governor Andrew Cuomo has outlined two different annual budget proposals highlighting New York's need for federal government aid. According to the Albany Times Union, the first proposal includes raising taxes, delaying projects, and heavy state borrowing, burdening future generations. The second proposal includes the restoration of delayed funds, lower taxes on the middle class, new housing construction, and help for small businesses. The correct future state budget depends on how much aid New York will receive from the federal government. In the last 10 months, Cuomo has repeatedly accused Washington of, quote, negligence, unquote, in their handling of COVID-19 and believes they should bear the financial responsibility for the effects it has had on New York. The first budget proposal is called the Worst Case Scenario, and it includes $6 billion in federal aid, while the second proposal is called the Fair Funding Scenario, with New York receiving $15 billion which is enough to fill the budget gap. President Biden's American Rescue Package is a $1.9 trillion proposal, which includes $350 billion in state and local aid. Cuomo is threatening to sue the Biden administration if New York does not receive $15 billion. 
The real worst-case scenario, if the proposal doesn't pass and no further aid comes from the federal government, although such a scenario is unlikely with Democrats controlling both the House and the Senate. Both budget plans include the legalization of recreational marijuana for adults and the expansion of online sports betting. In national news, today marked the beginning of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris's tenure. History was made at today's inauguration ceremony as Vice President Harris is the first woman, first black person, and first Asian American to assume the position. We'll hear more about the events later on our show from a former local reporter who was on the scene at the ceremony. Now turning back to the ceremony where poet Amanda Gorman of Los Angeles delivered an original piece to the smaller-than-usual crowd. Gorman is a former National Youth Poet Laureate, and at 22 years old, is the youngest inaugural poet in recent history to speak at the ceremony. So, in case you missed it earlier, or you want to hear it again, here's Amanda Gorman reading her inauguration poem, The Hill We Climb. Mr. President, Dr. Biden, Madam Vice President, Mr. Emhoff, Americans, and the world. When day comes, we ask ourselves, where can we find light in this never-ending shade? The loss, we carry a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace. And the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet, the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting for one. And yes, we are far from polished, far from pristine, but that doesn't mean we are striving to form a union that is perfect. We are striving to forge our union with purpose, to compose a country committed to all cultures, colors, characters, and conditions of man. And so we lift our gazes not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We close the divide because we know to put our future first. We must first put our differences aside. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We seek harm to none and harmony for all. Let the globe, if nothing else, say this is true. That even as we grieved, we grew. That even as we hurt, we hoped. That even as we tired, we tried. That we'll forever be tied together, victorious. Not because we will never again know defeat, but because we will never again sow division. Scripture tells us to envision that everyone shall sit under their own vine and fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. If we're to live up to our own time, then victory won't lie in the blade, but in all the bridges we've made. That is the promised glade, the hill we climb, if only we dare it. Because being American is more than a pride we inherit. 
It's the past we step into and how we repair it. We've seen a forest that would shatter our nation rather than share it, would destroy our country if it meant delaying democracy. And this effort very nearly succeeded. But while democracy can be periodically delayed, it can never be permanently defeated. In this truth, in this faith we trust, for while we have our eyes on the future, history has its eyes on us. This is the era of just redemption. We feared it at its inception. We did not feel prepared to be the heirs of such a terrifying hour, but within it we found the power to author a new chapter, to offer hope and laughter to ourselves. So while once we asked, how could we possibly prevail over catastrophe? Now we assert, how could catastrophe possibly prevail over us? We will not march back to what was, but move to what shall be, a country that is bruised, but whole, benevolent, but bold, fierce, and free. We will not be turned around or interrupted by intimidation because we know our inaction and inertia will be the inheritance of the next generation. Our blunders become their burdens. But one thing is certain. If we merge mercy with might and might with right, then love becomes our legacy and change our children's birthright. So let us leave behind a country better than the one we were left with every breath from my bronze-pounded chest. We will raise this wounded world into a wondrous one. We will rise from the gold-limbed hills of the West. We will rise from the wind-swept Northeast where our forefathers first realized revolution. We will rise from the lake-rimmed cities of the Midwestern states. We will rise from the sun-baked South. We will rebuild reconcile and recover in every known nook of our nation in every corner called our country our people diverse and beautiful will emerge battered and beautiful when day comes we step out of the shade aflame and unafraid the new dawn blooms as we free it for there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it if only we're brave enough to be it presidential inauguration poem from earlier today titled Bethel We Climb. This is WRFI Community Radio News. I'm Kayla Savitt. And right now I am pleased to be joined uh, live by telephone by local reporter Gabe Petrazio, who is with Finger Lakes One, but lives uh, down in D.C. where he is a grad student there and he also reports for Finger Lakes One still. And he's with us uh, tonight to speak about covering the inauguration of President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris. Gabe, welcome back to the show, and thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Great to be here. Yeah, great. And um, so why don't we just jump right into it. You were on the ground reporting on uh, today's historic inauguration. Um you know, we we hear it on the radio, we saw it on the TV, but, you know, what was it like being there in person? 
I, you know, and I can only imagine, um, you know, the, the mixed feelings going into a day like this from the reporting side. It was both uh, an incredible opportunity to go down there, and also, you know, there was a lot of uh, anxiety and fear um, about a possible attack and what was going through your mind this morning. Thank you, Gabe. And um, to, to wrap up here, um, can you talk with us a little bit about your new, um, you know, what you're writing for tomorrow and your new role uh, as the national editor for FingerLakesOne.com? Gabe Petrazio, Finger Lakes One reporter, thank you so much for speaking with us today uh, about your upcoming coverage and for your experience uh, today at the Capitol. Certainly there's a lot of stories to be told about today, so glad you were on the ground and that 
everything turned out okay during the search. And this is WRFI Community Radio News. I'm Michaela Savage. And I'm Peter Champelli. Now, you'll hear an interview with Lori Rubin, a local educator who teaches students and the general public about how to observe, record, and appreciate nature. WRFI contributor Esther Rakusin produced the piece last April and reprised it for the end-of-year locally sourced signs episode. With this interview, we also urge our listeners to get outside and enjoy the natural world in the coming year. Here's Esther. Let's start out by replaying an interview about how to spend time outdoors, just observing nature. We'll have a lot of time this winter to get outside, enjoy the snow, and get a breath of fresh air. In April of this year, I spoke with Lori Rubin, a local former elementary school teacher who developed a curriculum using nature study to inspire students to develop their writing and science skills. First, I asked Rubin how she benefits from being outside in nature. For me, it's my, um, my meditation space, my, um, my getaway. And yeah, I think you can connect to the natural world in different ways, depending on what you're used to. It could simply be for the exercise and breathing nice, clean, fresh air. You can just take in the general scenery of, of what you're looking at, or you can get into more nitty-gritty detail of really what I always call making friends in the natural world, learning uh, the names, especially the plants, but also the animals, um, especially birds that you come across. And um, so for me, when I'm hiking and I come across a plant or a bird that I know, already know, it just feels great, makes me feel good, and makes me smile. Here, Ruben talks about the idea of keeping a journal to help connect to the natural world. The one thing that I really like to do, I didn't do it today, but, um, and what I've encouraged families with children to do is to keep a nature journal. It's something that I did with my students. And so as the weather gets nicer, we can, you know, go out and sit. Um, It's great for, for any family or individual to find a spot that's close to their home that's not hard to get to and revisit that spot over and over again um, with a journal and just sit quietly for a bit and observe what's going on around you and write it down. Um, You know, you could write a poem, you could draw a picture, um, you could just make a list of what you see. But for me, that has really made me connect more fully to the natural world and what's around me. I then asked Ruben to describe how she taught her kids how to keep a nature journal. The first thing would be very simple. Let's just go out and see what we find. And um, we can either draw it or, like I said, draw or write a list. Not not all kids or all adults feel comfortable drawing. Um, But first, just, you know, observations. What do we see? And then the second one, I always said, notice what questions are popping into your mind. And that's not easy for everybody, whether you're a kid or an adult. Um, And it it just takes time. It takes time to to nurture that idea. Um, So, you know, a simple example would be in the fall, for example, um, 
you know, the colors of the changing colors of the tree are beautiful, that would be an observation. The question might be, why are they changing? How are they changing? Um, so it, it's, you know, I used to tell my students, it's that naturalists are kind of scientists and scientists walk around the world asking questions. And um, in a lot of ways, I learned that from my partner, who's a scientist, because when I took walks with him, that's what he would be doing. And so I slowly learned to do it myself. Ruben says that in order to journal, people should just find a so-called sit spot, which is a place where one can be quiet and observe nature. When I used to take my students out, um, sometimes, often I would have a particular lesson that I, you know, if it was the beginning of spring, we'd be looking for signs of spring. But sometimes we just went out and it was just to see what we would find. So when I first started doing this and I was going to a, the same sit spot over and over again, um, at first I wasn't sure what to do either, but kind of what happens is you start noticing things. You notice one grasshopper in the, in the grass and all of a sudden you see three of them or you notice uh, a flower that wasn't there from the time you were there before. This happens all the time, um, especially in the Mulholland Wildflower Gorge. I'll see one new uh, spring ephemeral flower, and then all of a sudden I look out a little further and there's a whole blanket of them. So uh, just looking around you, you know, just a three-foot diameter around you can yield a lot of surprising um, finds. Even though the wildflowers and grasshopper eggs are sleeping under the snow, you can still go out and find a sit spot. Just put on your snowsuit, gather your fingerless gloves and journal, and observe in the snow. We just heard WRFI contributor Esther Rapusin's interview of Lily Rubin, a local educator who teaches students and the general public about observing the natural world. This interview initially aired in April 2020, and again last month during the end-of-year edition of Locally Sourced Science. In some station news, starting this coming Monday, January 25th, our regular evening news program will be going on hiatus. Instead, we'll be bringing you headline news throughout each weekday. Then check out our new weekly program starting Friday, February 5th at 5. Visit WRFI.org to give your feedback on our news programming. And that will do our, for our program today. The headlines at the top of our show were written by WRFI contributors Esther Rakusin and Susan Fortson-Edgington. Peter Champelli was my co-anchor today. I'm Michaela Savitt, WRFI news director and executive producer for our program. We're back tomorrow night and every weekday evening at 6 with more of the stories impacting our communities. On behalf of the entire WRFI news team, take care. One, two, three. W R F I.